Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. In this series, we'll be looking at a few familiar Christmas carols we sing and how they give us a deeper understanding of Christmas and ultimately point us to Jesus. Thanks for joining us this Advent season. Y'all can keep going, but according to Webster's Dictionary, this is how they would define joy. They say it's the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Now, I think that's actually a better definition of happiness, not joy. Listen, there's nothing wrong with happiness. I'm a fan of happiness. I like happy. I just want us to realize, if you're following in your notes, because it can set us up for failure, I want us to realize happiness is not the same thing as joy. It's just not the same. I prefer the definition given by Kay Warren. If you're following on the screen or in your notes, she says this, joy is the settled assurance. It's the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. It's the quiet confidence, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice, the determined choice to praise God in every situation. Right? I mean, can you see, can you notice the difference in definitions between Webster's Dictionary and biblical joy? And that the main thing is joy is not generated from the outside in like happiness. It's generated from the inside out. And the Bible has a lot to say about joy. The words joy, rejoice, joyful, they show up 430 times in the Bible, including commands like always be joyful or shout for joy. So I want to spend just a little bit of time this morning up front talking about four biblical principles of joy so we can understand it a bit better before we move in to the song. If you're following in your notes, the first thing we need to know, joy is an attribute of God. It's an attribute of God. I don't know what you think about when you think of God, but does joy come to mind? Do you think joyful? I shared this verse a couple of weeks ago from the book of Job, chapter 38, verse 7, but it gives us an inside glimpse of the creation of the world, and it said, the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy. On page one of the Bible, we see God singing the universe into existence, and we see the repetitive words, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good. From the beginning, we see God's joy. And God's joy was fully displayed in the person of Jesus because Jesus is the embodiment of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus reveals God to us. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. And there was this prophecy given about Jesus in Psalm 45, verse 7. It says this, you love justice and hate evil. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. Jesus was the most joy-filled person who has ever lived. And not only is God the most joyful being in the universe, but we're told the kingdom of God is a kingdom of joy. In Romans chapter 14, verse 17, we're told the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, 
and joy in the Holy Spirit. We could do an entire message on joy as an attribute of God, but when we think of God, what do you think about? Joy is an attribute of God. He is joy. So it makes sense if you're following in your notes. Number two, joy only comes from God. And what this means is we don't have to produce it ourselves. We don't have to try hard enough to drum it up. We don't have to enter this Christmas week and say to ourselves, I've got to be more joyful. I've got to be more joyful. I've got to be more joyful. It just doesn't work that way. We're told in the Bible that when we become followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life and he brings about the fruit that is consistent with the way Jesus lived and joy is listed as a fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter five. So if God is the source of joy, then we need to stay close to him. As we abide in him and walk with him, he produces fruit in our lives. In addition, have you ever thought of this? You can pray for joy. You can pray that God would bring about more joy in your life. And a good reason to pray for that, if you're following in your notes number three, is God wants us to experience joy. He wants us to experience it. In the announcement of Jesus' birth, in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 12, do you remember what the angels said? They said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause what? Great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Jesus' birth was the ultimate joy-bringing event. Jesus brought joy, and God wants you to experience joy. Do you believe that? Jesus told us this in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. You can see this on the screen. He said, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Because joy is an attribute of God. Joy comes from God, and God wants us to experience joy. It is possible to live with a settled assurance and a quiet confidence that is not generated from the outside in, but the inside out. And the fourth thing I want to point out, if you're following in your notes, is the joy of the Lord calls for a response. It calls for a response. If you look at our joy, uh, definition of joy, joy leads to a determined choice to praise God in every situation, not for every situation, but in every situation. And I want to say very clearly, this does not mean we walk around with a fake smile on our face, on our face, and we act like we're not hurting. That's just not true. That's not what the Bible says that we contradict the Bible where it says to weep. And mourn, that's not how Jesus lives. So we know that's not what it means. It means we live our whole lives in response to who God is. Right? It, it means, it means we focus on Him instead of our circumstances. And this can mean we're happier. It can, but not solely based on external circumstances. And, and when we're experiencing joy, it changes us. It changes how we think. It changes how we speak. It changes how we act. It changes our attitude. And this sort of response is only possible 
if we have a settled assurance and a quiet confidence that God is in control of everything. He is holding it all together. But isn't it true? This time of year, that there's a tension that we want to experience joy. Just this calm, this peace, more happiness. We want to experience this, but it's a struggle to get there. Right? I saw a picture on Instagram this last week that reminded me of the tension we all feel. Do you have that? Yeah. I think we all feel a little bit like that. We want joy. We want it. But our circumstances influence us significantly. I've never met anyone who wouldn't want to experience more joy in their life. And so today I'm thankful we can look at the song, Joy to the World, and the scripture behind it to be reminded why we can be joyful and how to experience joy. So Joy to the World is an English Christmas carol written in 1719 by hymn writer Isaac Watts. Watts would go on to write over 700 songs in his lifetime. And the story of how Watts wrote this song is pretty funny. Any teenagers in the room? Teenagers, listen to this story. It's fantastic. As a teenager, Watts grew tired of the songs that he always sang in church. So one day he told his father he was bored in church and that he thought the poetry used in the songs they sang, and I quote, was awful, unsingable, ill-suited to the music, and not particularly spiritually uplifting. His father replied, this is so good. Well then, young man, why don't you give us something better to sing? Watts did just that, and for the next two years, he wrote a song every Sunday that they sang in church. And one of those songs was Joy to the World. And he based it on Psalm 98. He wrote an entire book based on the Psalms in our Bible over two years and Joy to the World is based on Psalm 98. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 98. Psalms are about the middle of your Bible. Psalm 98, don't be afraid to use the table of contents. If you don't have a digital device or a Bible with you, we have black Bibles in the seat back in front of you. Psalm 98 can be found on page 483 of those Bibles, 483. If you don't have a Bible with you, take that home with you, please. We want everybody to have a copy of God's word. Psalm 98. Real quick, as you're making your way there, uh, and before we walk through the psalm, we need to know that the book of Psalms is the songbook of God's people. It was what the Israelites, the Jews, used to worship. And the book of Psalms is 150 songs that are organized into five books or collections, and Psalm 98 is in the fourth book of the Psalms, in a section known as the enthronement psalms. If you're following in your notes, the enthronement psalms celebrate the reign of God over all creation. They celebrate the reign of God. This psalm, Psalm 98, can be divided in three sections, verses 1 to 3, 4 to 6, 7 to 9, and that's what we're going to walk through today briefly. So would you read the beginning of verse 1 with me on your notes? It says... 
Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. I'll continue verse 2 and 3. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So the, the context of this psalm is important. God created people in his image, men and women, first page of the Bible. And God chose a people, and he named them Israel. That's referenced in verse 3 of Psalm 98. God set these people, he set Israel apart to be his image bearers and his representatives. He chose a people, and he made a covenant with them, not only that they would receive his special blessings, but they would pass those blessings on to all the nations of the earth. Israel was called to be the partner through which God would made, would be made known to the entire world. But what we see throughout the Old Testament is that Israel failed to keep their part of the covenant and it led to exile. And here's the context. Most people think this psalm was written upon the return from exile, which makes a lot of sense. That's why they sing to God a new song of salvation. Because God saved them from exile. But from Adam and Eve on, the greatest need in our lives is not for God to fix our circumstances. The greatest problem we all have in our lives is sin. And the greatest need we have is forgiveness. And and there are acts of sin, yes, but what we're talking about, and Steve said this last week, sin is turning our backs on our creator and saying, I'd rather do it my own way. I want to be my own God. I know better than you, God. And this sin separates us from God, and there's no way to save ourselves from this spiritual exile. And we're all in spiritual exile. It's only through placing our belief and trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we're forgiven and made right with God again. And when we do that, we are saved from sin and death. Three times in three verses, the word salvation is used. If you're following in your notes, salvation, the the Hebrew word Hosiah has a meaning of victory. In the New Testament, it's a victory of deliverance from sin and freedom from sin. The apostle Paul uses this word in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 57. He says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Christ Jesus. So if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you're victorious. You are free from the curse and the penalty of sin. You are not guilty anymore. When God looks at you, he doesn't see a sinner or a mess up or a failure. When God looks at you, he sees his son. And you are free from the power of sin in your life. The moment you begin to follow Jesus, I said this already, the Holy Spirit lives in you and empowers you to say no to sin so that you can live with Jesus and live the way of Jesus. Psalm 98 reminds us that Jesus has secured our salvation. He has secured our victory. And in response, we sing. If you're following in your notes, we sing to God because he's the Savior. We sing because he's the savior. We can have joy because he's the savior. Joy to the earth, the savior reigns. 
Then we move to verses four to six and I'll read verses four and five. I'll ask you to join me in the second gray box on your notes. It says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp with the harp and the sound of singing, with the trumpet and blast of the ram's horn. And then would you read this with me in the second gray box on your notes? It says, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. In verses four to six, what we see, if you're following your notes, is all creation shouts for joy. They shout for joy to the Lord because he's the King. He's the King, right? Many of us have heard the word kingdom, You're in a history class. You're getting ready to take a final exam on European history. We've heard kingdom. And to put it simply, a kingdom is a territory ruled by a king or a queen. That's the simple definition. And since a kingdom is a territory ruled by a king or a queen, the idea of kingdom, let's go back to the first page of the Bible where that shows up as well. God speaks a world of order out of chaos. And as the creator, God is the king. And he reigns over his creation. We live in the kingdom of God. To quote theologian Abraham Kuyper, he says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which God, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. We live in the kingdom of God. But as we've said throughout this Advent series, Advent reminds us that we live now And we see glimpses of God's kingdom in full, and we live before the not yet when all things will be recreated. We live in between the now and the not yet. The king is coming again. But until that day, we've been invited to join the king in his mission. So if you're following in your notes, we are royal subjects of the king, and we have the privilege and honor of representing him and his kingdom well. There's a purpose and a mission for us to represent our king. Peter, the leader of Jesus' followers, would write this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The church exists. And as a reminder, the church is not a building. It's God's gathered people. We exist to accomplish the same purpose that God's chosen people, Israel, were given in the Old Testament. To be a set-apart people who proclaim his praises to the world and extend his blessing to all nations. We are a people who shout for joy to the Lord that he has come to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. We sing with joy because Jesus is the Savior. We shout for joy because Jesus is the King. And then we move to verses 7 to 9, and we get one more reason why we can experience joy. I'll read verses 7 to 8, and then again invite you to read the third great box on your notes. It says, let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Then would you read this with me in the third gray box on your notes? It says, he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Verses seven to nine, if you're following in your notes, tell us that everything created is to resound with praise to God because he's the judge. 
He's the judge. This is God's world that he created. And the only one who has permission to judge and to determine right from wrong is the one who created it. God is the only one who has permission to judge, and we're told he judges in righteousness. This is a fantastic word. The definition of righteousness means to do the right thing fairly. And only God can do that. God doesn't judge on emotion or based on how he feels today. Thank you, God. He's a righteous judge. And let me talk about this word judge for just a couple minutes because it's kind of a taboo word today. But if we think about it, we all want God to be the righteous judge over the earth. We all want this. Why would I say that? Because we long for a just world, yet we live in a world marred by sin and its effects. We recognize this. It doesn't take much to recognize the gap between how things are and how they ought to be. And there's a time coming where God says enough is enough. No more violence, no more injustice, no more killing, no more raping, no more enslaving. We long for the judge of all the earth to once and for all do what is right and separate right from wrong, good from evil. We want that. We want that. What I think makes us squirm a little bit is that we don't like talking about the fact that each of us will stand before God and be judged as well. All of us, when we die, will stand before God in his perfect righteousness. God will judge us at that moment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we're told clearly, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. And we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. We just all need to know this. There's a day coming for all of us. And that day is either a bad thing or a good thing based on what we believe about Jesus. Because in that moment, God will either see our sin and declare us guilty, which leads to eternal separation and suffering Or God will look at us and see his son, Jesus, holy, perfect, and without blemish. And the good news that I want to proclaim over you today is that our lives can resound with joy because when we place our trust in Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross, if you're following in your notes, rather than being judged guilty, we have an advocate. Rather than being judged guilty, we have an advocate. In the book of 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, we read this. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. As followers of Jesus, when we face judgment, Jesus stands at our side, having taken our judgment on himself and having paid the debt for our sin, and he gives us his righteousness. And I just want you all to know this this morning. Jesus is willing to do that for every person here because he created you, he loves you, 
He wants a relationship with you. You are priceless to him. That's why we sing the wonders of his love. The wonders of his love. Jesus is the savior, the king, the judge, the advocate. And if you're following in your notes, because of who Jesus is and what he has done, we can have joy. Because who Jesus is and what he's done, we can have joy from the inside out, not dependent on external circumstances from the outside in. We can live with a settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of our life. We can live with a quiet confidence that ultimately everything's going to be all right. And we can make a determined choice to praise God in every situation. So let me finish by asking two questions. Two questions. Joy is only possible if you know Jesus. So here's the question. Do you know him? Like, can you say with confidence that you have accepted his free gift of forgiveness? And on the day when you stand before God, you will be judged innocent and righteous because Jesus has paid the price for your sin. And he's your advocate. Joy is only possible if you know Jesus. And today I want to invite you to place your trust in Jesus and follow Jesus. And if you're not ready to do that, I I totally respect that. I do. I respect your decision. But I would challenge you to answer this question. What is stopping you from accepting this good news that causes great joy? What is it? Whatever that barrier might be, we'd love to have a conversation with you about how to overcome that. And even if we follow Jesus, we can take our eyes off of him and put our focus on circumstances and we can't find joy in our circumstances. So here's the second question. Are we allowing any of our circumstances to steal our joy? Anything in our life, what, what's going on in our life, especially this busy, hectic season where we're taking our eyes off of Jesus and it's stealing our joy. This is what I've noticed about myself. The past couple of weeks, we, we've talked about love and hope and peace and now joy. And I've just noticed that I haven't experienced those in as much measure as I would want because I'm focusing on external circumstances to provide me with the joy that only God can give. And I want to correct that. We want to give you a moment, just a gift of quiet, a gift of stillness in this hectic, busy season to consider where you are in experiencing joy. Maybe this is the time where you just name, I I don't have joy. I've never followed Jesus. I need him. Maybe you do that right now. Or maybe this is a time where you reorient your perspective toward Jesus. And just name, what what is it that has your attention? What's stealing your joy? What is stealing your joy? Name that, confess it, and then ask God to fill you with the joy that only he can give. That's a prayer he'll answer. Just ask him to fill you with that joy. We'll give you just a moment to talk to the Lord.
God, thank you that you're the joy bringer and the joy giver. Thank you that we can have joy because of who you are and what you have done for us through your son, Jesus. Thanks that you want us to experience more joy in our lives. And we just name and confess that's super hard. So I would pray for all of us here, Lord. Would you fill us with your joy this week as we walk into Christmas and all the circumstances that are gonna surround all of our gatherings? Would you help us keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus? and have a determined choice to praise you in every situation. God, we need your help with that. We can't do it on our own. Thank you that you want that for us. God, we're grateful that we can gather, we can sing, we can hear from your word and ask you to move in our lives. We're grateful people. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody agreed and said, Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.